0: Welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero.
1: Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Well, big Mosletoff and uh, Lahayim to all of our Jewish friends out there. Uh, the name Laban is a, a very Jewish name out of the Bible, even though it turns out I'm not Jewish at all, but I feel like I should be uh, an honorary Jewish person because of the wonderful connections I develop with. Uh, this Jewish community that we are so blessed to be involved with so thank you for coming on the show today
1: absolutely you know tonight starts the holiday of Purim which is a holiday all about turning everything on its head turning things upside down so maybe we'll talk a little bit about conflict freedom and how that's different from resolving conflict and you know turning things on its on their head a little bit
0: Well, isn't that interesting? And the timing of this could not be better. And uh, in reading your beautiful book, Jennifer, it's, uh, it's given me some wonderful insight into my own life. And, it, and I'd like to start this off. I took your two tests and my conflict habit assessment came back as relentlessly collaborate. And I wondered if you might be able to explain to our beautiful audience what the heck that means.
1: Well, you might actually be able to explain that a little bit better than I can, (laughs) but I will, I will go first and then maybe you can elaborate. So what I found in my research and what I write about in the book is that there are four habits that people typically default to when we find ourselves stuck in a conflict pattern with other people. So our habit interacts with other people's habits to form this pattern of interaction and we get locked in it, and it, we find it incredibly hard to break free from that because we're just wanting, we, we do this habit over and over again with good intentions. So, relentlessly collaborate is all about the habit of relentlessly seeking to collaborate with other people. We've been taught over the last 40 years, in particular, that collaboration is a good thing. It will help us achieve our goals, get us what we want, help us create these win-win solutions with other people. The problem is that when we rely on those so heavily, sometimes collaborating with others is a, a way that we can achieve our goals. And other times, we end up sinking more and more time, energy, money, resources into trying to collaborate with someone who's simply not interested they are most likely never going to collaborate with us and yet we keep batting our head up against the wall trying and trying and trying because we've been taught that this is the right thing to do and we've been rewarded for doing it in certain circumstances so that's just one of the of the conflict habits that that with good intentions can sometimes get us stuck on that conflict loop
0: well i suppose um and it's a wonderful explanation. I, I suppose I've based a lot of my uh, my theories around vanilla ice, where he would say, stop, collaborate, and listen. If you remember, <laughs> stop, <laughs> collaborate, and listen.
1: <laughs> That's not <laughs> – yeah, I didn't follow vanilla ice, but I take your word for it. <laughs> uh, and yes, it can be very very helpful. <laughs> helpful thing to listen to other people. Sometimes.
0: Well, it was – I've got to say, and and, uh, it was remiss of me not to introduce you as Doctor Jennifer Goldman-Witzler, because you are a you have a PhD in organisational psychology, and have an extraordinary uh, background as a speaker, uh, both with TEDx and the Google Talks, uh, amongst um, presenting to Harvard and Columbia University, where you've uh, where you studied. Uh, What else have I missed?
1: Well, I've taught at Columbia for the last decade, so I've taught this course uh, all about optimal outcomes and teaching people how to free themselves from conflict over the last 10 years. And I've also been working as CEO of Alignment Strategies Group, which is a company that I founded to help CEOs and their senior teams to collaborate more effectively across lines of difference, difference of opinion, difference of worldview, um, to help people really have honest and difficult conversations that they need to have in order to move their businesses forward, but that are so often really challenging for them to have on their own. so another another kind of fun fact about my background is that my research at Columbia was f- five years worth of it was funded by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. So my beginnings and my research really were about looking at how do the how, how does the emotion of humiliation drive intractable conflict, particularly with a lens uh, looking from from the lens of terrorism, international terrorism,
0: which I found so fascinating and and uh, reminded me of uh, is it Chris Voss. Who I know that you're connected to on LinkedIn, who's the former FBI negotiation expert, and I've got uh, Derek Ardern coming in from the UK, who's like a uh, another negotiation expert, um, a friend of Patricia Fripp. I'm not sure whether you know that name as well.
1: I know Chris Foss and uh, Chris. Chris and my book were both published by the same publishers by Harper Business, so uh, that that's a fun connection that Chris and I have.
0: Fantastic. And for those that don't know what book we're talking about, it's called Optimal Outcomes. Free yourself from conflict at work, at home, and in life. And it's got a testimonial from Seth Godin. How did you manage to manage that one? Are you friends (laughs) with Seth?
1: (laughs) uh, Yes. Uh, Seth lives in my town and is also a former business partners with my agent, my book agent. Uh, and friends with many of my friends. And I run past his house every day on my daily run. Uh, and so I uh, have gotten to know him a bit over the years. And um, he was kind enough to to read the book and, and offer a beautiful assessment and testimonial.
0: Well, it's really good, Jennifer. And uh, I found my relationship with Bob and Sally, uh, it really pissed me off is what, what I experienced when I was mm-hmm. observing their their story. And, their, and I know it's not their real names, but they are based on real people, if I'm not mistaken. Yes,
1: absolutely. Yes. Tell me what pissed you off about that, about so, them and their relationship.
0: So th- this is a really great question. I'm pl- really glad you asked this. What pissed me off is I have become quite ruthless, I think. It's probably a good way to describe how – I, what I allow in my life in terms of the people I understand that it's really important who you surround yourself with and you become like some parts of who you su- surround yourself with and some people that are intolerable or, or have become intolerable or just totally misaligned with core fundamental values I've just made a, a very um, brave decision in many cases just to exit them out of my life and it's not that I'm sending them a dear John letter it's just that I just no longer have anything to do with them And I found that the way that Bob approached his uh, negotiation or his efforts with Sally was very immature. And I just wish he had the balls to say what he meant and uh, and deliver it in a way that would have got a much better outcome. And I'm just keen to hear your thoughts on that. (laughs)
1: Well, first of all, I totally personally I appreciate your honesty. I am sure you are not alone in feeling pissed off at Bob for how he related to Sally, uh, and I can assure you also from having worked with Bob directly in real life, it was not easy for him to face up to his what you know what you're calling immaturity. What he would call these are these were things that he had struggled with his whole entire life, you know, his whole adult life, uh, or at least probably his whole life, but only was kind of in the background unconsciously aware of for his adult life. And so I think what I would say to you about this is that each of us has a Bob within us where there are parts of who we are, parts of our personality that uh, we're not proud of, that can almost feel beyond our control to some degree, that we act in these ways that uh, you <laughs> just uh, we don't mean to, and yet we get in our own way. And what this methodology is really all about is helping us take a clear look in the mirror, as uncomfortable as that can sometimes be, and become aware of the choices that we're making, the ways that we perpetuate that conflict loop, yet we'll blame it on other people, as if it has nothing to do with us, as if we are not on that conflict loop with the other person or people involved. So, helping us look in that mirror, and as a result of being able to come face-to-face with our true selves in reality, to choose to do something different, to get off that conflict loop.
0: Yeah. it's uh, I think maybe it it agitated me because it it revealed some truths about me.
1: Mm. Like what?
0: Well, uh, the way that I've gone about certain things in my life, you know, I've gone through a major, major life transformation in the last nearly six years, Jennifer, and uh, a lot of it has involved dealing with addiction and being able to successfully conquer drinking and gambling and drugs and philandering and and limiting beliefs and negative self-talk and you can even add caffeine to that list as well (laughs) recently, Uh, that's another podcast, but um I've changed the way that I talk about myself. I have very high expectations of my own um, self worth now, I, and I truly love the person that I've become. And I know that I didn't, and that's why I behaved in in that way previously. So I I maybe feel like I've become impatient with other people. I'm I would like to think I'm pretty good most of the time. In fact, I got uh, I didn't fall into any of the three emotional emotion traps on the other quiz. Hmm. But I just wonder from your observations in this short amount of time we spent together, mm-hmm. is there any blindingly obvious outcomes that you think I might have missed for myself?
1: Well, I think I'd, I'd need to get to know you a little bit better. I think those, I'm glad that you took the assessments online because they can really give you the feedback that, you, that could be useful to you, uh, to each one of us. Sometimes people just in knowing what the four habits are or what the three emotional traps are can say right off the bat, oh yes, knee-jerk reaction, that's mine, or oh yes, relentlessly collaborate, I totally do that. And other times it can be useful to go online, take the quiz and find out, you know, in seven minutes <laughs> which one of these is the one that, you know, that what which trap you fall into or which habit is yours. But I think it can be if if you and I knew it knew each other slightly better, it would be easier for me to say. But I think, uh, you know, the the quizzes will reflect the reality that, you know, of how you answer based on how you answer the questions.
0: Well, uh, yeah. And I have thrown you under the bus there because we've literally only known each other for less than half an hour. So <laughs> <laughs> despite a few emails back and forth, but in terms of your, your upbringing, Jennifer, Uh, Would you be so kind to explain a little bit about how you came to to be involved in this through your own adversity?
1: Yeah. My grandparents on my father's side came from, they they came to New York in a very circuitous route all around the the globe from Europe uh, to the Dominican Republic and then to New York uh, because they were escaping Nazi Germany, uh, Nazi Europe, and... They left behind family whom they never saw again. My father, uh, my grandfather's father, he never saw again. One of his brothers was killed by the Nazis. And so they came to New York with a lot of anger and a lot of rage and grief, which uh, at their time, you know, was not processed in what today we might consider an appropriate way to process it. They just didn't process it really. And so it often, my understanding as an adult today, looking back on how I grew up, which was very close both physically and emotionally with my grandfather uh, living across the street from my grandparents, is that there that that was kind of an undercurrent in our lives. And um, it came out that that grief that he likely carried with him came out in bouts of rage and anger. And so I learned as a young child how to deal with that, how to protect myself, how to protect my brother from it. Um, and, you know, it was present in my own family, my nuclear family as well. My It kind of got carried down through my father and I myself. And I write about this honestly in the book as well, that anger is something that I personally struggle with. I get angry, you know. I can my anger can get triggered very easily. That knee jerk reaction of anger uh, and blaming others is just something that kind of feels hardwired for me. And so I've done a lot of work over my lifetime to learn how to deal with it effectively, manage it both internally inside of my own self and then also in my relationships with other people. Um, and so that was on one side of my family, and then the other side was my grandma Florence, who was my mom's mom, and we would every Sunday, get in the car and go from our little red brick building in the Bronx, drive in the car to Connecticut to go visit my aunt and uncle on my mom's side. And my grandma Florence would sit in the middle of me and my brother in the back seat. And inevitably, there would be just fighting every which way in the car, you know, parents and me and my brother yelling at each other and screaming. And my grandma Florence would just say in her little Yiddish way, Sha, sha. And suddenly there would be quiet. And then she would tell us a story about a boy named Blossom. (laughs) Whatever happened to us that day also miraculously happened to happen to Blossom and she would calm us all down. And so I think it was really the juxtaposition of dealing with the anger and the sadness and the rage on one side of my family and then having this conflict whisperer in my grandma Florence on the other side that enabled me to then learn how to become that for my family and for my clients now uh, as well in my own life and for myself.
0: It's uh, I find this uh, so interesting, Jennifer, and because and a lot of what you're talking about uh, I suppose effectively is a coping mechanism that we as children develop in order to exist and, and a, a keen area of interest for me is understanding childhood trauma which I've spoken about publicly on here a lot, which for me was nothing more innocuous than divorce. And I had two parents that were doing the best they could with the tools they had available, but they were ill-equipped to look after themselves emotionally in many ways, let alone their children. And so part of this healing process has has been me learning and understanding uh, what went on so that I can sort of reverse engineer it and deal with it from there. Um, and I'm very excited. I've got a, a guest coming up, Dr. Robert Glover, who wrote a book, No More Mister Nice Guy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's a, a book that really helped change my life after a breakup with a, an ex-girlfriend of mine, who I, whose feelings are really hurt. It's all about boundary setting, and and it was all to do with learned behaviour uh, of a lot of the same type of stuff that you're explaining, you know, from a legacy of the most horrendous trauma um, from nazi europe and and how horrendous that must have been having to uproot your whole life, leave behind you know family that they never saw again, and then build a new life from scratch in a country where at times they weren't that well received
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: right so i I mean, I think you've done extraordinarily well, and I was just uh, enjoying going through your wonderful. Uh, legacy of everything that you've achieved in your life, and and I mean, you should be so incredibly proud, and, I'm, and I and I hope you are. Uh, and this book, this book, you uh, kept me engaged because the stories petered out throughout the course of the book, and and you you tease with the uh, what's going to happen, particularly with Bob and Sally. And I won't spoil it for the for the people that haven't read the book. Can you explain to me, Jennifer, what, how to build up my courage muscle?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, as you can imagine, looking at yourself in the mirror can sometimes be a wonderful experience, and can sometimes be a kind of difficult experience for many of us who, when we look in the mirror, uh, figuratively speaking, and we see someone who's been behaving in ways that have caused us to be stuck in conflict with other people, uh, we can. End up feeling really uncomfortable when we see what we have been perpetuating for ourselves in ways that were unintentional, we didn't, unconscious. And so once we realize that, we have this opportunity to change. But as I'm sure you and I and your listeners know, change can sometimes be very challenging. And so what it really requires is the ability to know that anytime you're going to change, it's likely to feel uncomfortable. And when it does, that that is a when you feel that feeling of discomfort, that's how you know that you're on the right path. Because if you didn't feel uncomfortable, you're probably not actually making an effort to change. <laughs> So when you feel that feeling of discomfort and ah I can't take this anymore that's how you know you're on the right path. And you know I talk about the relationship between fear and courage. So that that discomfort feeling can bring up a feeling of fear of, if I do this, I'm going to leave behind this way of life that's been easy. Or, you know, if I do this, what if the other person responds in a way that I really don't want them to? Or if I do this, uh, any number of things could happen. And so what I'd say about courage and fear is that you can't actually have... um, They're symbiotic. You can't actually have courage without first experiencing the fear, and that the courage kind of blossoms out of the fear. So it's not a bad thing to feel fearful. It means that you're on the right track again. Um, And, you know, I talk about building courage muscles like going to the gym. And, like, if you go to the gym and you say, I want to, you know, get stronger, you got to lift up that. Twenty-five pound weight, or fifty pound weight, or hundred pound—you know—you just keep on kind of upping the weight, and keep on going back to that gym and lifting those weights. And it's the same thing with courage: the more you do it, the more courageous you get, and it can be really this virtuous cycle.
0: Yeah, it's, it's um, brilliant advice, Jennifer. And, and uh, one one area of my life that I've noticed has improved exponentially, particularly in the last three or four years, is an ability to own. Uh, all of my failings, and I use that that term just as a descriptive word only, not anything I truly think about myself. Uh, and that the power of that vulnerability allows me to develop really fast and deep connections with a lot of people. And so, in terms of uh, conflict resolution, I feel like when they've seen that I've um, exposed my vulnerabilities, they feel a lot more comfortable and, and end up giving me the real reason why they might be unsure or upset about something. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, there's a concept in negotiation theory that talks about um, oh reciprocity. It's a very simple, simple word and simple idea, which is just that really describes what you just said, that when you make yourself vulnerable, I, I think I heard you say, when I make myself vulnerable, other people make themselves vulnerable as well, or they're more likely to. And that can enable us to have a deeper connection with each other than we might otherwise have. And again, it you know can take courage to be the first one to to go and to put yourself out there and be vulnerable. But as you found so often when, when you do do that, it can enable the same kind of response from other people in kind. Um, You know, when I talk about this idea of this pattern breaking path, that when you're stuck on a conflict loop and you're just going around and around and around, the main way to get yourself off is to do something pattern breaking, to to break the pattern, do some by doing something different. And I talk about um, that. When you surprise someone else by doing something surprisingly different, not just different, but surprisingly different, so different from what they expect that it will just jolt them off the conflict loop as well. So if you've been in a blame-blame pattern with someone where you're, you know, like I talk about in the book, my mom and me, she's blaming me for not calling her enough and I'm blaming her for being too critical of me and just on and on and on it goes round and round. So then, you know, what's one thing that I could do that would be different from blaming her? Well, basically anything, <laughs> anything else that's constructive is is the key. But doing anything else except blaming her is going to get us off that, that conflict loop to some degree. So, um, you know, if you talk about, well, if I had apologized, you know, that that would have been surprisingly different to her. She was not used to hearing me apologize to her. She was used to hearing me yell at her. So just like vulnerability, sometimes an apology can be so surprisingly different for people that, you know, it can release you both from that conflict, loop.
0: I must admit, when I was reading that uh, section of the book regarding the the fights uh, you and your mom were having, it reminded me of, and i please take this the right way, of an episode of The Nanny with uh, Fran Drescher and her mother... (laughs) Uh-huh. but I, I'm not sure if you're a fan of the show or not um I
1: haven't seen it in a long time but I know I can hear her voice oh Mr Fran's Sheffield <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fran you haven't called your mother that's my best Jewish mother voice <laughs> um but I, I can I can totally empathize with with uh how that came about and and it must be so commonplace. I mean, this must exist in every single family on the planet if I'm not wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you when I gave the TEDx talk, uh, And there I was in an audience of a few hundred people. I mean, I was swarmed at the end of that talk, or that's how it felt to me, by people coming up to me and saying, I I had thought that people would relate to the story, because I told the, the story about me and my mom in that talk. I had thought people would relate to it, but it didn't hit me exactly how specifically about mothers and daughters, but there were also people, you know, a father and a son, but it was a lot of family dynamics that people just came up and were just saying, you know, have you been in my text chat? (laughs) Have you been in my living room? Have you, do you know me? Because really uh, so many people relate to that kind of a a conflict loop.
0: Uh, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked at all. And again, well done. I've watched your TEDx talk Uh, And I thought you delivered it beautifully. And um, how many times did you practice that before you actually delivered that one? Can I ask?
1: A lot of times I had a bunch of, I had I think two or three different sets of friends in my living room practicing the talk and they offered really incredibly helpful feedback. And I made some, a bunch of changes based on that work with them. And I just in front of the mirror, in front of the, zoom screen you know it just constantly practicing and practicing and practicing to the point where it felt like it it was just kind of coming out naturally without any real uh thought thought about it yeah and and so it did once I was and it on stage it was able to
0: yeah. it uh, it did uh, and i think for anyone that's that's interested in doing a tedx talk or any other google whatever it might be is the importance of uh, rehearsing um until it becomes part of your inner being uh, from one speaker to another. I want to share with you a really interesting statistic that I learned just the other day when I interviewed uh, Captain Charlie Plum, who was a, a, do you know Charlie Plum at all? No. So Charlie Plum is a, a Vietnam veteran. He was a Navy pilot and he was actually the gentleman that um, instigated the, f- the founding of the Top Gun school that later became what the movie was based on. And uh, he was shot down over Hanoi uh, during the Vietnam conflict. And he was captured by the Viet Cong and held as a prisoner in a POW camp for six years. Uh, in the first four years, he never saw any sunlight. And they were beaten and starved and tortured and all this other stuff. Of the Vietnam veterans that returned back from active service, thirty-five percent suffered from PTSD. But of the POWs that came back, and there was seven hundred and something of them, I think, four percent suffered from PTSD. And the four percent was made up of people that had been recently captured within a few months, just before the end of the conflict. And when I when I heard this statistic, I was I thought this is the most extraordinary thing ever because I just immediately would have associated the opposite. Yeah. And, and uh, what Charlie was talking about was the amount of time and reflection that they had because they had nothing but time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you talk about in your book about pausing mm-hmm. and the importance of, of pausing before you make a rash, de- before you make a decision that might have otherwise been rash. hmm did you know about that statistic with the POWs?
1: No, that really is mind-boggling. It's almost hard to believe. I, I think his hypothesis for why that statistic exists is an interesting one. Um, though it's, it, wow, that that's mind-boggling. But pausing, you know, is certainly a helpful thing and is all the rage these days with meditation courses, you know, But yes, I'm happy to talk about the role that pausing can play in helping us free ourselves from conflict. Would that be?
0: Yeah, yeah. Please do. Please do. This is really handy.
1: So, typically when you're stuck in conflict, we're, we're taught, again, over the last 40 years, such an emphasis on collaboration, we're taught that we should do something to try to help resolve that conflict or at the very least, help make it go away. And what we're not used to doing is just stopping and pausing and noticing what is the situation that we're facing? What are we experiencing? And so a pattern-breaking action in and of itself can actually be to just stop and pause and notice. And so I talk about, you know, a pause can be anything from a (sighs) one-second deep breath, And you can use that deep breath to just stop and notice what's going on physically around yourself, or you can look at what's going on inside of me. You can ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? We could even do it together right now. So just, right, stop and take a deep breath and ask yourself, what am I feeling? Can I identify an emotion? Maybe I'm feeling at ease, or maybe I'm feeling interested, or maybe I'm feeling bored, or maybe I'm anxious or calm. I feel you, I I feel interested.
0: I feel interested. I'm in, I'm highly engaged in, in what you're saying, and I'm and I'm genuinely interested in trying to learn as much as I can on this topic in the time that we have together. That's how, and I feel calm at the same time. If that makes mm-hmm. sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that those are. Those sound like some somewhat pleasurable ways to feel. And sometimes we might stop, especially if we're either reflecting on a situation where we felt stuck, or if we're literally in the middle of a situation where we are stuck with someone else. And sometimes what we notice about what we're feeling is not so easy to, or it doesn't leave us feeling uh, positive feelings. But either way, just the ability to stop and to notice, so you can focus on what am I feeling, or you can ask yourself. You know, one of the practices in the Optimal Outcomes Method is is just mapping out the conflict. Sometimes that's a way to pause and just map it out. Uh, if you, particularly if you're a visual, someone who learns well visually, it can help to draw out on a piece of paper who's involved here. So often when we're stuck in conflict, it can seem like. It's just us and one one other person, like in Bob and Sally's situation, right? We talk about it as the Bob and Sally situation, or we might talk about on the international realm, you know, it's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or the Northern Ireland conflict, when actually these things tend to be much more complex, even in the case of two individuals like Bob and Sally, when Bob stopped to make a map of the situation, what he noticed is it wasn't just him and Sally, it was actually the executive team and the entire organization and the CFO who had been pressuring him to lower Sally's compensation. And that led to him trying, attempting to have conversation after conversation with Sally to let her know he needed to lower her compensation and she would kind of blow up. Uh, Then there was Sally's background and how she grew up uh, and that was influencing the situation. And then he realized, well, there's also my background and how I grew up and my father and brother who are these risk taking entrepreneurs and pressures, you know, pressuring me writ large in a, in a large way in my life to to make it and do this. And, and, and then there's the tech industry context that makes me think I need to be this collaborative leader and I can't possibly ever make a decision in an authoritative way because that's not cool. So, there's all these different factors at play. And once we can really stop and observe these factors, then we have a much better ability. We have more leverage in the situation to make tweaks and changes that we can see that we couldn't see before we had just stopped and noticed what was actually going on. So these are all different ways to pause.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really great. And, and all of this is available in the book uh, for those listening as well. And it's all there in beautiful diagrams and um, depending on what kind of learner you are. Um, th- there's another book that you've got emotions in a long, in long-term conflict, uh, which I haven't had an opportunity to read yet. But w- what's a quick explanation of what that book's all about?
1: That book is based um, much more specifically on my dissertation, and it's all about how the emotion of humiliation drives long-term conflict, uh, and different types of humiliation driving aggression versus driving people to go more internally and feel ashamed, and and how how that specifically works.
0: Available at all great bookstores, Jennifer. I'm very yes. conscious of your incredibly hectic schedule despite being locked down in, uh, in the middle of New York, eh? <laughs> where you can get a hot dog and a bagel for two bucks. <laughs> it's probably way more expensive You than do that, that well. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up watching a lot of
1: American TV. I can hear that. I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I love gangster,
0: I love gangster <laughs> movies as well. Um, mm-hmm. I must have seen Goodfellas, I don't know, 50 times or something. But yeah. Uh, what is what is in the future for Dr. Jennifer Goldman Wetzler?
1: <laughs> well, that is a great question. As the world continues to blossom and change and grow, as a result, some to, to a large degree of the pandemic that we have that we are experiencing, uh, it is a great question. So I am continuing to bring this book and these ideas out into the world. I am continuing to work um, with a select number of senior uh, C-suite executives to help them implement these ideas as they do their innovative work. We're specifically working with organizations who are working to innovate at the same time as exploit their existing businesses. And so they have kind of conflict already built into their business models. And so it's a great fit for us to work with those kinds of folks. Um, and and really just spreading the, the conflict freedom gospel. Um, yeah.
0: Fantastic. Are you going to make your way to Australia anytime soon to deliver any keynotes?
1: Well, as soon as the world opens back up, you can be sure that I will be there <laughs> with bells on. Yes, uh, in fact, we we're hoping to get to New Zealand as well uh, as soon as as soon as their borders open too.
0: Fantastic. Well, that's where I'm from originally, and I'm half and mm-hmm. half, half mm-hmm. my life there, half my life here, give wow. or take. And uh, I'll always be a proud Kiwi and uh, conflict resolution. Uh, it's benefited from all races and creeds from what I can tell.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Something we all need.
0: Two questions. First question, what areas of your life are you still struggling with or working on? Probably is a better question.
1: Mm -hmm. So many. (laughs) Let me see which one, which, which uh, one or many I can, Talk about and
0: what about your rages. road rage?
1: My road rage, yes, that is for sure. <laughs> for sure one. I mean, I want to think about it honestly. There's always always something that I'm that I'm struggling with and working on. I think, you know, the the book tour that I've been on, while it's been virtual for the last year, it really helped me see what it takes to get out there and not worry about. Exactly how things are received, but just make a an offering, like offer a gift to people. And sometimes when you when you do that, as you well know, uh, things are received well, and other times not so well. And the you know so one of the things that I'm really working on is learning how to continue to just up that game right? All the time, trying to up the game and not worry so much about exactly how it lands with other people, but know that this is the gift that I'm, you know, these are the gifts that I'm offering and to just leave it at that.
0: Fantastic. And the second question is, despite all of your many years of research and understanding of conflict resolution, do you still think that there's just sometimes people out there that are dicks
1: What a great last question, Lehman. <laughs> I have been asked that question in different variations over the last year as I have brought this gift of this book to the world. I will say I'd never, I don't, that's not even how I think about the world. It's kind of like this orthogonal question to me. It's, I don't think about people who are this versus people who are that. I think about someone who might've acted unskillfully or someone who, seems a certain way to me. And that may have as much to do about my own projection on them. And so I think the more self-reflective your orientation is, the less that, it, you know, it's the less that the world seems like that. Um, because what I've, and maybe it's just from my work in organizations that I, I do uh, something called 360 reviews for people as part of my coaching work. And so I'll start off any engagement by interviewing people 360 degrees around a person and you know someone who can seem like a complete and utter jerk to one person can seem can can be talked about like the very best friend of another person and i just see all the different perspectives and i you know so it's too easy to to know that that really is more to me that's closer to reality but i appreciate the question (laughs)
0: It was very loaded. I tell you what, it was very loaded. I, uh, one thing I've noticed about my own, um, behavior, Jennifer, is that, uh, I, I genuinely feel though I talk about becoming ruthless with setting clear boundaries, I have become a lot more tolerant of people and I, I'm a lot more at peace with my own self. And I think. Um that's one, one of the areas that you talk about in, in the book as well. Like you've got to address your own demons first, really, um, and that will help mm-hmm. a lot of this because we tend to telegraph our own insecurities or our own behaviours onto other people if they're not resolved. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really fascinating subject. And I know uh, people will get a lot of uh, help and guidance out of the material that we've shared today and in your book. Where can people find you?
1: The best place to go is optimaloutcomesbook.com and like the quizzes that you were talking about taking you can go to optimaloutcomesbook.com assessment and you can find both of those and there's a ton of other free resources there as well like the map um, and 10 other pdfs that correspond to each of the chapters in the book
0: so I hope you- the links will be listed below do you have any concluding thoughts
1: I just hope that in this world that we're living in, that is this completely new and volatile world that is ever changing, that people really will consider this idea that whenever you feel stuck, like you're on this conflict loop and you're doing one thing and someone else is doing something else, that you're just doing them over and over again to just stop and take a pause, take a deep breath and ask yourself, what could I do that would be surprisingly different? from what i've done before because the truth is you have the power within yourself to do something different without needing the cooperation of anyone else it doesn't matter what they do as long as you choose to do something surprisingly different and create a new path and in that way free yourself from conflict and achieve an optimal outcome that is my wish and hope for people
0: that's a good wish that's a good hope for people ladies and gentlemen